0: Hey, folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of The Writer's Panel. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, We're in the midst of a bunch of really great episodes. I've loved recording them. Um, I've learned a lot. I've been reminded of, like, great stuff that I'd forgotten. Um, Also, like, I'm writing a lot right now, and it's great. I forgot how great it is. It's really fun when you're working on stuff that you love and believe in. And um, maybe that's the biggest lesson for me of this past year, this past couple of years is like write the stuff you love. I don't know. Um, listen, a couple things to talk about before today's podcast with David Jenkins, uh, which was a really terrific episode. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with him and, um, First of all, uh, go over to my newsletter, benblacker.substack.com, where we, uh, you know, I write about writing as well as you know, let you know about new episodes of this podcast. Um, it's been really flattering to have so many of you support that newsletter, um, and the best way to support the podcast is to support the newsletter uh, by becoming a paid subscriber. Paid subscribers also get access to our monthly live Zoom Q&As with pro writers. You know, we've had a bunch of great ones in the past year, year plus. Um, Everyone from uh, Robert Cargill to David Guggenheim, that was the first one and the most recent one. Uh, but in between Akela Cooper, the writer of, uh, Megan and the nun, um, Jane Espenson, who has been on every genre show ever, um, just a, 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 dozen or more great writers answering your questions. We do them every month. The only way to participate is to become a paid subscriber over at BenBlacker.substack.com. Now, many of you know, this is not my only podcast. Uh, I am also the co-producer of Dead Pilot Society, uh, a fun podcast uh, that we release every month in Dead Pilot Society. Scripts that were developed by studios and networks by professional writers but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. Everyone has fun. uh, We always get great casts and nobody gets fired. We are doing a live Dead Pilot Society in Los Angeles at the Elysian Theater, on the 21st of january 2024 um we've got two great scripts uh one by open mike eagle who was the um on the new negroes and mike benner who was a bob's burgers writer they wrote an amazing script that has a terrific cast including paul f tompkins tawny Newsom, uh langston kerman a whole bunch of great folks. We've also got another script we're doing that day by Tommy Jonigan, who most recently wrote on that 90s show, but he is a longtime comedy guy. Um, these are really good scripts and the table reads that we do for these, which are not at a table. They are done standing up like professional people um, to give you a little more show for your show. Uh, the table reads are always really a good time. So head on over to the Elysian Theaters website, uh, that's com, elysian Uh and get tickets. They're only 15 bucks, and it's an afternoon show on the 21st so that I don't have to go out at night. Anyway, uh, come see live Dead Pilots Society. You can also get details about that. I'll put it over on my newsletter, benblacker.substack.com. All right. Here is my conversation with uh, David Jenkins, who is the creator of People of Earth, as well as Our Flag Means Death, which is everybody's favorite show. Um, We have a really... It's a great conversation. I love talking with David. Uh, We really got into some interesting areas um, that I think he didn't expect to talk about. I certainly didn't. but, you know, we, uh, things about how he thinks about comedy and creating stakes in a funny world. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in this conversation. So uh, thanks to David and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoy it.
1: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh.
0: That's it. This is how we do it. This is how a podcast starts. Uh, David Jenkins. Thanks for being here. Um, David, I usually have people introduce themselves, but I want to say who you are because I'm such a fan of both of the shows that you've put on television, Uh, People of Earth and currently Our Flag Means Death. Uh, These are great shows. Congrats. Thanks, man.
1: No one knows about the first one. This is fantastic. I think you might be the one person who saw it. Is
0: that true? Was it I mean you went for what two seasons right
1: And then they they tried to give us a third one and then um they decided not to <laughs> They decided not to
0: They didn't try very hard <laughs>
1: They ch- hmm I don't know it was a weird time <laughs> Every time I make a TV sure. show it's apparently a weird time and everybody's merging and uh it's the end of an era and the beginning of a new era
0: Well that's I mean it's really interesting like you got into this so People of Earth was 2017 right or 16
1: I mean, yeah. I guess I think we were shooting. Maybe we aired in seventeen, and we were shooting in sixteen. I don't know. It was it was over in a flash.
0: So. Like, but but for sure, you have gotten into the business and had some success at it during a super weird time, which is which the last decade has been. Um, just to sort of lay our groundwork, so you you started out as a playwright, uh, is that right? Uh, and then sort of made your way to television. Tell me about that transition and finding your way in this business at that very strange time
1: well i feel lucky to um this is a weird analogy but i'm gonna make it i moved to new york city a, uh, a few weeks before september 11th and it's a hard time to move to new york city but There is something to be said for being there through September 11th, because you kind of got to understand where the city's going and why it's in the place that it's in. There's something about going into TV at this time where like, I don't, I don't know what it's like to do a 24 episode. That's insane that that even existed um you know so i only know this to be in constant flux and chaos and people trying things you know with like an entirely new net like they were trying to do something with tbs where kevin Riley was going to reinvent that network and they had a you know they were going to take a really strong run at it and then things changed so quickly um so i felt very lucky to be there um, <clears throat> again it's freakish when you're a playwright and you're used to writing things by yourself and then you do you get to be social as a playwright well, if you get into production you have to do re- you get to do rewrites with the actors and the director and it's you know you're, you're there um, and I produced a lot of my own st- stuff in theater so like some of those skills actually like carry over the credits transfer in a way because producing is producing but it is wild to suddenly be like, oh, they're turning this over to me. Oh, this is, this is a multimillion dollar thing. And now now I'm, I'm being allowed to run it. And uh, it's, that's, that is wild. And learning how to be in a writer's room, much less run a writer's room, um, wild. And, well,
0: well, we'll talk about some of that because um, I'm curious to hear about like.
1: Oh, OK. Oh, man, I need to get a drink. Things, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I want to hear about like the things that you learned in that experience and what you've brought over with you. But even before that, like was the idea as you are, you know, finding some success as a playwright and producing plays and writing plays.
1: I wasn't that successful at playwright.
0: <laughs> Listen, you made stuff that counts.
1: <laughs> yeah. What, you know what? I love that. Right, let's just pause it. I love that. Cause it, it is, yeah, you got it up. Like you had to I had to produce it. We had to produce it ourselves, I was doing it with my wife at the time and and raising money and even getting the fucking thing up is like, yeah, we did it. So anyway, so I love that. Um go
0: ahead. Were you writing like what was your interest in TV? Were you writing TV samples? Did you have TV agents who wanted to bring you to TV? I had a
1: very weird, I was like an actor for a while and I was gigging as an actor and testing for things and doing okay. And then I um, started to realize after, usually after I booked a job and I was doing the job, I realized that I hated it. Um, but I felt like, oh, well, I wanted to do this my whole life. Now I'm doing it and um, I, I, I am very unhappy. And there's certain things that happen when you're an actor, like people touch your face. Uh, people lead you places. You're you're left to sit in a chair. You know, you're handed like a costume that you have no say in and then you get some input. And then I realized, um, oh, that feeling that I had, uh, were, that I thought I'd feel when I was acting was actually like, oh, no, I want to be the whole thing. I want to be this. I want to be the scenes. I want to play all the characters. I want to determine the mood. Um, Sometimes I want to run and hide from my own writing because I hear it. I'm like, oof. but like, I want to be the person that gets to create, you know, I, I, I used to have these very strong feelings when I would, I was a weird kid. I'd listen to soundtracks from movies and not like, I would listen to like, you know, collected songs like Rushmore, great soundtrack. But I'd listen to like the Carter Burwell soundtracks to like, you know, Miller's Crossing or something like that. Like, and at, there was something about it that was just like, God damn, whatever feeling that it evokes listening to Carter Burwell specifically, his soundtrack to Fargo and his soundtrack to Miller's Crossing are just like, beautiful i would listen to them like in headphones like walking i was a dork um soundtrack to heat is kind of evocative in that way for me this is a long way of saying that whatever i felt when i was listening to those soundtracks and what i loved about those movies and as moved as i felt or as moved as i felt reading of like of mice and men i thought i could get that feeling as an actor and it turns out no i like to generate that feeling and, and I feel that when I'm writing something <clears throat> and then usually when I'm feeling that by the time the thing is built and it's together um some people who watch it feel that and that's the best feeling and so I started writing plays instead of acting and um I got in a very bad car accident and I, um fractured my neck And I was completely okay. But um, for some reason, the near-death experience, uh, I think if you have it, I think your life, you don't have a say in it. Your life just changes. Um, And I was a playwright after that. And um, did that, like kind of, you know, you're a playwright. I mean, no one wants to see you as an actor. No one wants to see you as a playwright. Same thing. Um, So I just kind of like, I I got into I like to read plays. Like I I like Kenneth Lonergan was a big influence, and Sam Shepard, a huge influence, and Susan Lori Parks. And there's, you know, as an actor, you you read text, you become very good at analyzing text, and you become really good at something that's called moment to moment work. And it's one moment leading to another moment leading to another moment. The character's moving through things logically. And when you read a play, an entire three-hour play is connected through these moments that go from logic to logic to logic, emotional logic to emotional logic to emotional logic, which is really the same thing that we like in a Hal Ashby or Robert Altman or any movie that's good. Or we're like, I'm I'm into it. Um so I became a student of just writing like naturalism and and um as an actor i didn't get a chance to like work with other actors that i liked because you get slotted into something and shot across the country or shot to a set and this producing stuff was like oh cool i can work with the actors that i like and i can build the whole thing and murder myself doing it but i get to do it as you say you get to get it up and that's a success um And so I kind of taught myself how to write plays. And it's funny, I was listening to Tony Gilroy today, your interview with him, and he was talking about working as a bartender and learning how to be um, a writer while he was doing that. And I I did the same. I was an administrative assistant at American Express. And I was learning how to be a playwright and producing my own plays at the same time. And like Tony Gilroy, that was a soul-deadening, fucked-up, Gary time and it was formative and I did get a lot of plays written and one of those plays I think the first one that I wrote <clears throat> years after we put it up and after the New York Times did not come to review it and <laughs> after I was like okay I'm gonna put this in a drawer somebody sent it to be performed in Santiago, Chile at a theater festival. And they translated it. I don't even know if they actually did it. I think the festival got canceled that year. or something. This is weird. So then there was a reader at the festival that worked for a manager. This manager is very clever. This guy's name is Dan Halstead. And around this time, he was going to New York City looking at playwrights that he could Bring over into the television space, and and, you know he was doing this before. A lot of people were doing it. That play that I wrote five years ago, that got sent to Chile, that I thought was dead, that didn't even get performed, landed in a a reader's lap who liked it enough to be like, "Dan, you should check this out." And then Dan liked it, and then he was like, "Hey, you you should write for TV." And I was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I should write for TV." And he's like, "You should
0: write a half-hour comedy."
1: And I was like, eh, "I'm Arthur Miller. I'm not gonna."
0: <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, I was gonna ask you that. Like, as you're talking about the writers who influenced you, the writers you were sort of, you know, learning to write from, none of these are comedy writers.
1: No. Well, Sam Shepard can be funny but it's not the kind of it's not half hour funny it's it's like oh this is really fucking scary
0: funny so so you're it's suggested that you write comedy and and I can understand it like the the stuff I've read about your the the plays that you had produced or written were it seems like they were sort of wry and uh about human interaction and you know
1: yeah i wrote like a play that was kind of like um it was like beckett meets enron yeah, existen- it was about finally, existential finally is about existential freefall, essentially, between two characters. So it's a kind of funny. It's what Irish people consider funny, maybe <laughs> uh,
0: that's a very specific brand of comedy. And honestly, like I can see that different kind of funny. but I can see that DNA in both people of Earth and uh, our flag means death. Yeah, You're told to write comedy, and then you say, no, thank you. I'm a great writer. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, you know, my attitude because I was a schmuck was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna do it." <laughs> and then, uh, but you know, I like, I like. Turns out, everything I like is coming. I love Spinal Tap. I love everything Christopher Guest does. I love seeing the American um, people. Don't people who are young don't know this? But um, seeing the British Office in the U.S before the american office happened and you in new york you'd go to kim's video and you'd get the copy of it and you'd watch it and it was like a transmission from another planet where it was like oh you can do this and spinal tap felt like that where it was like oh my god you can do this um and so but both are moment to moment work which works in a drama, works in a comedy. It's just moment to moment work. Is just the language of something fucking good, where we follow every beat.
0: Is this something you you actually talk about with writers that you're working with?
1: Yeah, I don't like. I mean, again, so those things that I referenced, right? Or like, um, I, even um, Princess Bride, lovely moment to moment work. Um, Midnight Run, lovely moment to moment. Um, every Coen Brothers movie, Big Lebowski, like that; those are funny movies. But I believe the characters, I believe their circumstances, and I I see the emotions go from moment to moment to moment. They're heightened and they're ridiculous. Fargo is a pretty funny movie that plays like a drama, but it's a, it's comedy pretty much. Um, <clears throat> I think like those things to me. Like I'm, I'm trained to be an actor and those, that's what I love. That's what we do. That's what, you know, that's what made Americans, that was America's contribution to the world outside of jazz and rock and roll and hip hop was perfecting naturalism and moment to moment naturalism. And it's still good. It's still, what we want to see. And when we see it, it makes it's a difference between when it's really working. It's a difference between like maybe Iron Man One, working, and like a lesser, more you know troubled, not quite congealed actiony thing, not quite working because you check out
0: this. This speaks to both structure and tone, right? Like, and structure we can come back to in a minute, but I know like for sure it's that tone that you know characters living moment to moment and 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 living, you know, uh these breathing characters that I responded to in People of Earth and that I and so many others have responded to in Our Flag Means Death. These are very human characters. Oh, that's a nice compliment, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's lovely. But that's not always easy to do on television.
1: I think it's easy to do it's not it's never easy to do, period. And that's that's the price of entry. If you want to be good, you know, I, I'm not a I am not a joke writer. I just, I, I am, I am envious of joke writers. It's not what I do. Um, You know, I, I personally, I don't love comedies where they reset every episode and and you started. There's a lot of fun to that. And there's good, good things written that do that. I want to feel the weight and like a character can change and, and die and grow. So I want to feel some of the things that you see in like Breaking Bad with Walter White. Like the great thing about that character is he gets better. And it's an awful thing for that character that he gets better. But, you know, a little bit, the comic conceit with Steed is he has to get better. It, he gets less better than Walter White because he's a comedy. <laughs> <So it's>, <laughs> right. <laughs> he gets just a little better.
0: Right, you can you have to maintain that flaw and keep it comic, I guess.
1: I think you don't want to defang your character, your central core conceit of a character in a drama or a comedy. I mean, Tony Soprano's Tony Soprano, Don Draper's Don Draper. They grow and they change, but it's it's our own prop. We can never escape who we are at our core, as much as I hate to admit it. You know, I, I like to think that you can, but um, I think that when I see that in a comedy, watching watching the things that would happen on an episode of the British office, where it was like, oh, this is kind of sad. There's episodes of it that are you're just like, ooh. I admit, yeah, but then it, it's also funny and it's not mean. And there's not like a... I call it kind of a life is cheap quality to some comedies where it's just kind of weightless and everyone's kind of mean. Like Larry David is excellent at that. You know, Seinfeld is kind of that, but it's brilliant.
0: It's a refined version of that, which you more often get sort of a, a watered down version, which is which doesn't feel good.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of cynical. And it's like you've you know, like cheap beer makes you feel, you know, something well. Oh boy! I shouldn't have done that. Well, I should have had water.
0: This suggests to me this idea of like having this core to your character and and maintaining that core. Um, suggests something about the way you are creating your characters. Like, is there some core to? And and we can use our flag means death by way of example. But is there some core to these characters that you are holding on to? And. How do you know how far you can push that? I
1: think there always has to be a core that you're hanging on to, just in terms of like for me, it's very much aligned with casting. You know, when I'm writing it and it's just mine and it's in my head, I can imagine Steve Bonnet and I can imagine some of the things that he's going through. And I wrote that pilot, and it was like this is this is pretty good. There's like the, it's it's a workplace comedy and a pirate ship like I pitched, like we sold them. Um, I know this guy's eventually gonna fall in love with Blackbeard and meet him and fall for him, but that's not gonna happen for a couple episodes. So writing that pilot script was interesting where I was like, I wrote it a lot of the same beats, and I was like, it's kind of flat. And this guy's a dick. Like he he left his family and his kids to do this very narcissistic thing. And then he murders somebody by accident. And then his crew doesn't kind of like him. And he's a class tourist. And he's like, huh, what? What's missing? He's like, flat. And then it very quickly occurred to me. He's like, oh, I need to put in some flashbacks to see his dad. And to see that his dad's disappointed in him. And that he was um, a kid that was scared of blood and violence. And somehow this is coming back for him while he's doing this. Just to get some interior life for this guy. So he doesn't flatten into a cartoon character. And to me, those things are really important. Especially in a comedy. Where it's like, I want dramatic stakes from my comedic characters. I don't want comedy stakes for my comedy characters, because then it's like, oh, just I'd rather eat a sandwich. You know, it's what's really nice about Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in in the first movie. He looks scared. (laughs) When shit happens, it's not when he's like, "Ha ha, and he's fine. Like there are moments where Harrison Ford looks like he feels like he could die, and that makes that character so good and you invest because you're like that's how I would feel and there's something about that um just that little adjustment that makes a com- a comedic character come to life too where it's like oh oh there is something inside oh huh there is some real sticks they can say i love you and mean it and I think that's some of the beats in the British office that were really and the American office that were really like really landed were the beats where you really feel it and it's not diffused immediately with a joke. And it is played for the weight that that it has. You know, I, I love that stuff. That that makes my heart sing.
0: But this is also the kind of stuff and and I love it too and it tends to be the kind of stuff that that I write too and like the note that I always get with this is about the stakes. It's about like how can how can it be funny and scary and dramatic at the same time? Yes. Like that's what we want. That's what we all want. Yes. So I'm curious to hear about like once you push through on that character aspect of the pilot were there conversations about like The stakes of this world, and you know how how big this show could go versus the smaller moments where it feels like that's where the stakes really are are heavy.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's really that's really well said um, and observed. So thank you. I'm flattered. I think like um, for me, violence was important on the show that if violence happens, that it's not just comedic violence. That there's like people can get stabbed and there's blood. And you're a little bit like, you know, I think Steed gets stabbed in the third episode and he gets got stabbed, and you're a little bit like, Oh no, it's it's Reese. He's like, Oh god, I've got but he's like bleeding. He's like, Did you mean to do that? But he's gonna die. And there's a little bit of like, Oh, they can die in this. Okay. And then when you get into the emotional moments, and you know, like there's a really beautiful scene where um Blackbeard has to confess to Steve that he doesn't have any friends and he never had any friends and he was going to burn his face off and, <laughs> and and kill him and take it and send the doggy heaven. And it's played so dramatically and they play it so tenderly and so beautifully with each other. And that dissonance where they're saying very stupid things, but then they really mean it. And then there's so much, care and love for each other between those actors. That when I see that, uh, Mandy Patinkin does it really beautifully in Princess Bride. That's why Inigo Monta, that's why everyone loves Inigo Monta. When he says, you kill my father, prepare to die. Like, and Christopher Guest. Fucking fantastic in that movie. One of the scariest bad guys. Um. But those things, when they actually have stakes and they're happening in kind of a magical, funny world, I I don't know. Those flavors together, dialing them in and just making sure that we all understand in the writer's room that it's not comedy funny. Like, there's a moment where um, this character Buttons has a bird and the bird dies and it's it's a moment. And he gets hit with a bullwhip by Will Arnett. So that could be, like so zany and then the bird could explode and we be like ah but I wanted it to feel like a little Lars von Trier movie where it's like it happens it's real dumb and then it happens and then it switches into like a Eugene O'Neill play or something and it's like those moments where you're not quite sure where you're like ha 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 and then it gets and then you're like wait well
0: I love that yeah well well tell me about scripting those moments, because like your script, it's one thing for the actors to play the gravity of this. And you know that, that that that's going to happen. You know that they're capable of that. But also like these scripts have to go through execs and, you know, network and studio and all this stuff. Like, is there pushback or is there, you know, explaining that you have to do along that road to say, like, I know that this is going to land emotionally. Trust me, even though they're saying crazy things.
1: I'm freakishly lucky to this point, and I'm sure I'm jinxing it by saying this, but I never really had problems with that. I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff that I'm forgetting about it, but I know on our flag, like, they're just great. They're just down. And then, you know, I think on set, it's more like, okay, well, how are you building your cast? Like, don't just have comedy actors. Like, get, like, Con O'Neill and Rory Kinnear and Ewan Bremner and, you know, people who are, like, actor-actors along... I mean, Andre Brower just died. God bless him. But that's what he was doing on that show. You play it so straight. And those actors, when you put them next to a comedic actor, they terrify each other. And some electricity is created where the the actor actor is like, oh, fuck, I I can't do improvisation like that. And then the comedy actor is like, oh, no, this guy's good. (laughs) Oh, no. And they're both scared of each other. And they both send me emails separately. I don't think I did a good job today. Somebody amazing. It's only the amazing people. I think I did a weird job today. I don't know. They're so funny. Or somebody amazingly funny. I don't know. That guy was so good. I I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then by the end of the season, they're all in the same show together. And they formed a company and a language. But I think if you go too far in either direction, it can go. I mean, that's the brilliance of a Wes Anderson movie. And an early Wes Anderson movie, particularly like Rushmore has that perfectly. Um, So I think, and then in the writer's room, it really is just like, I know what I want. And then it's just making sure that it's staffed with writers who can do that. Like there are very few comedy writers who can do moment to moment work, believably. And and they're almost self-selecting. And I think that's one of the reasons that, You know, Greg Daniels, the creator of the U.S. office, um, sparked to what I was doing because I was basically just watching what he was doing and I liked it. And then replicating it in the form of the People of Earth script. And then he was like, yeah, I'll do this.
0: Oh, yeah. You can for sure see, again, that that DNA, like all the stuff that you have mentioned is so present in both of your shows. And yet they've totally become your own. That's the other part of it I want to talk about, which is like, what do you find yourself exploring the same themes over and over? Do you find yourself looking at a similar type of character over and over? What's the stuff that is you in both of these shows?
1: I'm sure I do, but I don't think that's up to me to determine. And I think once you start, you're in trouble because you're like, oh, I'm the person that does this thing. And then pretty quickly, it's like, and then it gets weird. And it's like, I I know that I like ensembles, I like workplaces, um, I like um, I like characters trying to form a family, you know. Um, and I really, I just, I like genre. Like I love like alien abduction, aliens, alien invasion. But it's like there's they're like a dead end job on the alien invasion, and they need an org chart. And, you know it's all the stuff that you know they're in an office. it's just it turns out to be a spaceship um those things where you can where I can find like mundane corners of a tried and true genre are wonderful because then you get to use the tools of the genre that we all love as an engine and then we get to move away from it I get I mean I'll quote Tony Gilroy again. he listened to he was saying he's like we're the most um we 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 have been exposed to the most narrative in the history of the world right now where we know everything we've seen it done a million times and it's wonderful then because we all have this shorthand and then you can explore these other weird corners because we're we're bored we're bored of this stuff as much as we love it were bored by it.
0: Well, you're right. I mean, it is like that sh- using that shorthand, using those tropes as shortcuts, right? To get to the good stuff, to get to the character stuff. Uh, yeah. It's so exciting. The good stuff. Yeah. Um, you've touched on uh staffing your rooms um with with these like-minded folks, and I'm curious to hear about that process. Like, what did you read? Do you remember stuff that like knocked you out in those first couple seasons of of Our Flag Means Death?
1: Um, well staffing is the first cast that you build you build you build three or four casts you build your staff you build the cast cast you build the crew and production team which is its own cast um but staffing is like okay just (laughs) who's doing interesting things and also like you're creating an orchestra so you're like what what voices do we need who's on this ship as character wise and like who who would be what's a good combination of people that will make up the sociological imagination of the show and the brain of the show so you're not looking i don't know what i don't know what anyone else is doing i'm not looking for people that are like do what i do i do what i do um, and I don't want the competition. Fuck that. I not want like I want people that are gonna. It's the X. It's the X Men. I mean, they all do different stuff for a reason, you know. And it's like, it's also like there's non-binary characters on the show. So then you're like, okay, well, I definitely need a non-binary writer. But they can't be the only non-binary writer because they're going to feel on the hook for. They're going to be the one. You don't want to leave anybody to be the one person of X in the room. So you need a couple non-binary. And then you need X. And you need Y. And then you start reading people and asking about people and scripts land on you. And there was I think Eliza Casio Jimenez wrote um a mashup of the Sopranos and Sex in the City. And it was the it was just the weirdest, but it was great. And it was so committed to tone and felt like both of those things. And it's a little bit just like listening to music. Like, you know it when you like it and you know, if it's your thing, you know, it's your thing. Um, And then you're looking at like, okay, how much am I going to have to work on this writer's script? Because They're young. We're all young at some point. And you're going to, if you have a lot of younger writers, you're going to be spending a lot of time, you know, especially in a first season when nobody knows what the tone of the show is, including me. And we all have to come up with a language for it. Um, And then uh, reading people's Twitter helps. Yeah, it does. Cause it's like, Oh, that's how their mind works. And that's what they think is funny. And, and are they, um, are they beef? Prone, because I don't want to go on a road trip with someone who's beef prone. Don't want to do that. Uh, so then it kind of, and then you know, you you check everyone's psychos score a little bit, and be like, "Hey, are they crazy? Are they nice to go on a road trip with?" But that first season, especially, you know, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of not um, straight white characters that you know, uh, you need help with that. <laughs> you need
0: input. Absolutely. Um, And I wanted to talk about, f- you know, figuring things out in that first season. You know, it felt to me like, and I think so many of us, like this show arrived so fully formed. Oh,
1: well, it doesn't feel that way to me.
0: I'm sure that's, I. that's what I want to hear about. So like, tell me what you sort of figured out what what did you figure out didn't work? What did you figure out did work? And, and tell me about that process.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think like a show that's working doesn't really find itself until like the fourth episode. Sometimes like the sixth episode. Sometimes it finds itself a few times. Um, but it usually doesn't find itself until the person who created it like the first episode that they don't write and you know, who knows? I mean, you have to do a lot of, there's a lot of rewriting. I mean, everything passes through me, everything, you know, Um, but there's a point where the room gels and you've talked about it enough and it's, it's gone. It's transferred from your head, the person that created it into the group. And then it's become something else. And I would say that you know, very watching like picking on the bear, first season of the bear, brilliant. Um, first episode is so different than that fourth episode, where I I think the show kind of opens up. If it's if stuff is going well, you know, it just everyone can breathe. Everyone knows what the characters are. I know what the characters are. We all know what the tone is. Um. So I feel like figuring out in this show where it was like this was a sneaky romance and really like doing all the world set up in the first couple of episodes, I think the second episode of any show is the hardest to write. Because you've created the first episode. You've done the pilot. and You invented the world and all the characters and all the toys. And the second one is like, oh, no. Oh, no. I need to <laughs> create a story for the whole episode. Oh, no. And there's not quite enough momentum yet. And, like, those are real tough. Um, And then slowly something starts to emerge um, the first season of the office the US office is interesting that diversity day episode I think was like the second episode or something but the show just cracked open with that very early quick um, there's a first season of what we do in the shadows I think there's an a- animal care and control episode that's like a four or maybe it's 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 a few in but that felt like when the show was like ah um I think on the first season of our flag is probably the episode where Blackbeard comes and takes over the ship and he and Steed swap outfits is there's good stuff starting to happen there. And then the show really loosens up around episode five where they go to the party and they they're like gonna teach each other to be an aristocrat and uh, and and a pirate. And there's something where I, I I don't know what it is. It just kind of relaxes into itself. And then pretty quickly it's like, oh, okay, cool. We're we're doing rom-com beats.
0: We know where they land. But it's it's funny to me that like even as things click, like it's never, you know, having been in these rooms, it's never a conversation about, oh, that works, this doesn't. It's like this amorphous thing that starts getting refined over conversations and conversations and drafts and you know, production that sort of the the best stuff seems to emerge ideally
1: yeah and then what what you just said about production because then it's an entire different drafting thing where like then so getting everybody in the world of the show in the writer's room is its own thing And it takes time and then those are just blueprints so then you have to get everyone in the world of the show in, on the production team because they have to build on the shit and they're like, well, what's chair look like in this world? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh. And then you just have to have answers. I mean, part of show running is just answering. And um, you don't even – the answers don't even need to be right. You just need to have an answer. You just need to be like, uh, oh, chair's brown. And they're like, brown? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, what's the – um ship is uh, – oh, yeah, the ship is big. And the, what's the costume look like? Oh, that one um with stripes and the vest. And um, it surprised me. Yeah. It was, uh, um, a prince uh, mixed with like a uh, Tina Turner and then a little Don Knots And then like, and they're like, okay, good, go. And then it really is just giving concrete answers, not trying to do everything, but concrete jumping off points. So that everyone on the production team can then start trying to get in the world of the show. Then you have to do it again with the actors to try to get them in the world of the fucking show. And then three quarters of the way through the first season, in my opinion, there's an existential crisis because everyone's exhausted and they've been throwing their work into a black hole and no one knows if the show's good because no one's seen an episode cut together. And you, the showrunner, have played Pied Piper and convinced everybody to be there and work way too hard and be exhausted and away from their families. And um, no no one knows what the show even is. Until the thing is released and they can see it, and it's been digested, and like that's way after you're off the soundstage. So a lot of the job is playing like dungeon master, over and over and over and over, and then in the process of doing that, you all kind of digest it and refine it as a whole, and then hopefully you arrive at something. But I think
0: it's always a surprise. We're really. like, oh shit, yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge leap of faith, right, for everyone involved. Insane. And and for you. Insane. Everyone. And then and then you're also like, oh, that didn't work.
1: We'll do that again. I'll skip that
0: next time. Uh, I'm not, I won't ask about that. Um, what I do want to ask about is, am, am I right that I read that you're doing some directing now?
1: Yeah, I directed the first two episodes of the second season.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, Tell me about like, how does that feel like an extension of, because it seems to me like early in this conversation, it sounds like, you know, you started telling stories from this very, the only way I can think to put it is, you know, many writers think of the typewriter as their tool, right? This is how I tell a story. And it sounds to me like you started telling stories, looking at all of it as a tool. It's, it's the actors, it's the, the crew, like the words, the music, everything to elicit some feeling. How does directing play into that holistic approach to storytelling for you? You're cool, Ben.
1: <laughs> You're cool. That's right. That's exactly right.
0: Yes. I think a lot about this stuff. I, yes. You really do. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's all,
1: you know, I... um I, I did, like, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I did, like, storefront theater in Chicago, a teenager. And store, no one's making any money doing theater in Chicago. And then if you're going to do it, you know, you, you have to do everything when you're an actor and working in those little theaters. You, you run the soundboard, and you, you're acting sometimes, and then sometimes you're, you know, helping with costumes, and you learn how to do everything. It's like crewing a ship. And then you learn that, yes, everything is important. And everything furthers how you're going to tell the story. So it is like producing is not that different from writing to me. Um, Hiring a bunch of different directors, not that different from writing. Even how you're going to run a production meeting, you're writing. Um, You're writing what the tone and the vibe of the show is, and you're trying to, again, play Dungeon Master and get everybody in the same thing. Directing is just easier because I don't have to be in some other poor visiting director's ear, being like, "Uh, hey, um," I mean, even like I did that with Taika. He's so gracious and amazing, and he's just like, oh, in um, yeah. No, Dave. Come here. What? Um. Okay. Yeah. I'll try it like that. Sure. And it's just like, oh man, this guy does. This guy has an Academy Award. He's listening to my dumbass. Um. But it it's so it's easier in a way where it's like, okay, I don't have to then try to intuit this through a director. And there are times in a first season where you're you're trying to get the directors into the world of the show, and you do have to be like, uh, that's a dramatic beat. Is that gonna be like that and it's annoying as fuck but you do it because it's the only way to keep tone
0: and you're the one who knows that like you as the showrunner and as the creator you have control of that you know you're the one who has the the knowledge of the entirety of it
1: yeah and it's like how are you going to wield that like you can be really irritating with that you can break people's spirit and you could also be way too polite and see it done not to your taste and not say anything those moments I always regret. <clears throat> um, so I think it's harder when you're running a show to direct too, because there's another block that's being prepared while you're directing that you then have to split time. You know, they have to come to meetings on set while you're between setups so that I can tell them, you know, have a tone meeting with them or, or talk of, through, you know, a rewrite on a scene um and that's when you hope that you've built a really good apparatus and you've got really amazing people around you who can you know help carry you and and help guide that other block where it needs to be um so that's 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 a little it's exhausting man It's exhausting. It's exhausting for everybody, and I'm sure it's deeply annoying for everybody.
0: But but listen, this is what we all sign up for, and like you want to make something. Yeah. Right. it's crazy to me that like you go through the same process to make something bad as to make something <laughs> great, and like <laughs> you like you said, you don't know till it starts coming out of the machine.
1: Uh, that's like a. That, I feel like that's almost the Soderbergh quote. Uh, I think that's exactly right. I think he said the longer I do this the more i i'm confused i get cuz i can see how it can go wrong very easily but I, I it doesn't get any easier to see how it can
0: go right totally that's it's fascinating um all right i will i will leave you here um i hope you get some rest over the next couple of weeks we end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days what's getting you excited oh no we're going to do this no. <laughs> yeah it's happening
1: oh no well okay i'm going to cheat then I'm going to talk. I uh, watched Napoleon last night on my television.
0: How it was meant to be seen.
1: <laughs> it has meant
0: to be seen on
1: my on my flat screen. Um and it uh, turns out uh, Ridley Scott's still good. But um what else did I see? Um I'm going to cheat even more. I saw a play called Stereophonic at Playwrights Horizons that is incredible. And it's um, like a little Robert Altman movie about a recording session um, with a Fleetwood Mac style band. And it's brilliant. It's one of the best things I've seen about creating something as a group and as a production. And I think anybody that does this should either see that play. I hope it moves to Broadway or um, uh, get a copy of it and read it. it. Boys are good.
0: Oh, that sounds great. I'll definitely check that out. I assume you watched the uh Beatles Get Back from a couple of years ago. You no, know, I didn't. You oh my god, you need to watch this.
1: I know, I should see it. I know. I totally forgot about it. I was busy, man. It's,
0: it's of course you were. But this it really is like it feels like being in a writer's room. It's the like purest representation I've ever seen of the creative process. It's fascinating.
1: I keep hearing how good it was. And I actually think we were in production on the first season when it was out and I was like, I can't do this. It's too close.
0: I can't I can't, yeah, I can't, that's... I
1: can't, I can't go from the writer's room and then watch <laughs> this. I can't do it.
0: No, that's bad for your brain. Um <laughs> David, thanks so much for chatting. That was a pleasure, Treasure. Thank you.